Fun. We're so glad that you guys have joined us uh, tonight across uh, our platforms here at Tomoka Christian Church. Uh, I can't tell you how much I uh, appreciate you guys uh, tuning in and being a part of what we're trying to do here. It's a, it's a new world that we live in, and even as states begin to open up uh, to try to claim some normality, uh, the largest majority of people believe that we're going to have a new normal, that, that the old normal is... Uh, is a fallacy. It's never going to be the same again. And so everybody's talking about a new normal, about moving forward into what is a, is a new normal. And that sort of fits into a series I want to, I, I want to start, uh, tonight as we, uh, as we just continue to move through, uh, doing this part of church online through our digital, uh, community. And again, a huge, huge shout out to Shane, to Mike, to everybody who's a part of our tech team, uh, Jess and, and her team of volunteers who run the cameras and make the production uh, what it is. Uh, we couldn't, we're just very fortunate that when COVID hit and church went digital, we were, we'd already been there for a couple of years and this team has done a great job and, and uh, just a big shout out to them and thank you uh, as always. Uh, but I want to, I want to transition into a new series through the book of First Peter. And we're going to spend a week on each chapter, uh, a five-week series. We're just going to do, um, we're not going to go deep. Peter's got some of the most deep theological truths in Scripture. Uh, we could spend, literally could spend several months just in chapter one. Uh, but we're going to spend some time in each chapter as we move through this notion of a new normal. Because what was taking place during Peter's time when he wrote this letter was that at some point in time, Rome burnt to the ground. And a lot of people believe that Nero set Rome on fire. And ultimately, that, that fire in Rome did irreparable damage at some level to the Romans who lived there. They all of a sudden were vulnerable. Their gods were incapable of protecting them. And Nero quickly learned that this thing had backfired on him, and all of a sudden he began to blame the Christians for setting fire to the Roman Empire. Well, it didn't take long for the Romans to turn on the Christians, which was a natural bent for them since Christians were sort of aligned with the Jews now in this post-crucifixion, post-resurrection world that they lived in. And so Christians... Primarily Gentile Christians, not Jewish Christians, primarily Gentile Christians began to be persecuted all over the Roman Empire. Because when the emperor says, listen, I didn't burn down the city, but the Christians did, it doesn't take long for that mob mentality to develop. And all of a sudden you found Christians being not just persecuted, but dispersed all over Asia Minor, today modern Turkey. And it's to those people that Peter writes this letter that becomes a circulatory letter, a letter that is circulated between all of these churches. A messenger would have delivered this letter and read it to the church and then would have spent a few days there with the church, encouraging them and praying with them and talking through the letter. And then the messenger would go to the next church. And Paul or Peter lists those church here in this letter. Many people believe that the people that Peter talked to were reached on missionary journeys by Paul. And it was Peter that God used to write this letter of encouragement. An encouragement to people 
who were trying to figure out how do they live in a new normal. Because these people had become exiles. These people had become uh, dislodged and displaced from their home. These people's normalcy had been completely disrupted, not by a pandemic, right, but by an emperor who oversaw one of the most gruesome, most brutal empires in all the world. And all of a sudden, life took a turn. And I, I have a hard time believing that we can't relate to that. Those of you watching right now and those of you that will turn on, tune in later um, and join us through uh, iTunes, our podcast, uh, our website. Listen, we're glad that you're here too, uh, no matter when you come to the party. But, it, but my guess is, is that losing normal and figuring new normal is something that we're all a tad familiar with today. And I don't know which is scarier and which is more difficult. Losing normal or figuring out new normal. I just know that the audience that Peter writes to were people who were lost and looking for their new normal. And what Peter does in chapter 1 is he focuses on an idea as we try to figure out new normal. I think it's an idea that we all, that we all can relate to. And that's the idea of labels. I did a little research and I wanted to, I wanted to, I had several and so I, I narrowed them down today to try to just give you an idea. You know, labels are, labels, labels tell a story, right? So I just want to give you a couple funny examples of some labels. Uh, th- here, here's this labor, label. Caution, this wall is made of brick. Punching wall can and will cause serious hand injury. Pretty straightforward, right? Pretty simple label. How about this one? I love this one. <laughs> Wash inside out. Remove, remove child before washing. I thought that's a pretty good label, right? That's a label that we all could, uh, could use. How about this one? It's a curling iron label, label found on a, on a, on a power cord of a curling iron. And it basically shows you that you shouldn't use the curling iron to curl your eyelashes. I'm not sure. I'd love to meet the person that needs that label, but hey, and this is my, you know, this is the most straightforward and the most silly danger. Moving propellers rip off heads, right? Labels. Labels are, uh, labels are interesting, are they not? I mean, we, we live in a world where people often say they don't want labels, and yet we spend so much of our time actually labeling everything. I mean, we're coming six months Right, five six months into an election season, we're labeled. Right, everything's going to be about labeling. Right, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal. Right, um, there's going to be labels everywhere. Uh, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Donald Trump. Right, there's going to be labels. We're going to give labels, labels, labels. Your kids labor under the notion of being labeled. She's a smart kid, right? Man, he's a really good kid, right? Man, your boy is so smart, right? Labels, right? There's, there's a unique inherent power in labels. And that is that labels have the ability to both give you the confidence to soar and accomplish great things. But power, labels also have the power to keep you grounded. Unable to ever fly, and ultimately, some of those labels even cause us to drown. 
right? And I have no doubt that we understand the power of labels. You've either been, you've either been and, and, and continue to be on the, on the receiving end of positive labels, right? Or you've familiarized yourself with the struggle of being on the negative labels, right? And, and listen, one of the benefits of living, oh man, our sermon is going to be longer because I forgot to stop the clock, start the clock. I'm so sorry. I get to preach a little longer now. So everybody, everybody, everybody good. But the reality is we live in a world today where, you know, we, we use phrases like political correctness, right? Listen, to me, all being politically correct is, is understanding that the phrase, the saying that we, that I grew up with was, which was sticks and stones may break my bones, but words would never hurt me. We're finally realizing that living in a world that we live in with human beings, that, that little ditty isn't true. Yes, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words, come on. Is there anything in the world that stings worse and hurts worse than words? I'm not sure that there is. I mean, the reality is, is that words have power. I mean, the Bible says that there's the power of life and death in the tongue, right? And the reality is part of what causes Christianity to struggle within so many people isn't because of their lack of belief in Christianity. It's because of the labels that they've been given their entire lives and continue to get that makes it difficult for them to live in the new normal. Because the one thing about being a Christian that is absolutely undeniably true is we get a new normal. We become new and we get a new normal. And yet the reality is why do so many of us struggle with living in the new reality of being forgiven, of being a child of God, because the power of labels, right? The power of labels are so significant that irregardless of what you've heard and read and experienced, man, it's those labels that you get at work. It's those labels you get at school. Heck, it's those labels you get at home, right? That do all of the damage to us. And the reality is, Living in a society like the one we live in today, where we have to change the way we speak, is simply, in my mind, a positive step in realizing that words matter, right? That labels matter. Listen, this is such a stupid, this is such a stupid thing that you'll think, you may think this is a stupid thing. But listen, I said this before, we hired our first black pastor on our staff a few years, Pastor Ben Brown and his beautiful wife Gretchen. So glad that they're a part of our staff. But for so many people, having a black pastor in our church community and our staff has been a little bit of a struggle. And here's the reality of, of labels, right? We use phrases, right? I'll say I've used a phrase as a, as a, as a Caucasian and a white Anglo-Saxon male. Listen, I've used the phrase before. There's a movie out with this phrase. It's called black sheep, but they're a black sheep, right? Is, are, are they the black sheep of the family? Right. And here in, 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 in my mind, as a white guy who associates with the white sheep that we count to go to sleep, it makes very sense to me. Black sheep, outcast. But imagine hearing that phrase as a black man, as a black pastor, who already feels the tension of racial divide 
because a black man has walked into a white, predominantly white world, and you hear the phrase, black sheep. That black man, that black pastor, immediately knows the stigma of the black sheep. And he's a black man. You see, labels matter. They matter. And listen, I, I think there are some things in the world that are funny, even in a politically correct society, because we have to be able to laugh at ourselves, right? But learning in a politically correct society, not to say certain words, makes all the difference in the world. And here's why, because it recognizes the power of labels. And here's what Peter was dealing with. Peter was dealing with people who had been uprooted out of their life based on the persecution that came from an an evil, wicked man who lied, right? Slandered, right? Completely labeled these Christians with his lie. And all of a sudden they were scattered and persecuted into all of these towns to try to find their new normal. And here's, here's what they needed. They need some hope, right? They needed to know how to not give up. And here's what Peter did. He taught them the power of the labels in their circumstance. See, my guess is that for so many of us that, and I said this last week, I I think I've said it every week. COVID has been, what's been life-changing. It's been, it's been state-changing, nation-changing, world-changing. But for so many of us, COVID's going to cease. And what we'll be left with is the same struggle we had before we got the break, right? And that struggle for so many people will be a lack of hope because they've been labeled their entire lives. You're lazy, right? You're stupid. You're slow. You're fat. You're whatever, right? And here's the thing. <laughs> Labels have power and the positive labels have the power to move people over mountains, to accomplish great goals, to cross and jump any hurdle. But the negative labels, listen, they have the power to absolutely derail a human being and not just derail them here on this earth, but to derail them eternally. Because if the power of the gospel is what our Bible writers say it is, if the power of the gospel is to change people, and yet we're living in a community of people that can't seem to get change figured out, then we just probably need to understand there's, there's a different battle here. There's a different reality here, right? I mean, I learned the power of a label growing up. I was poor, right? I was skinny. I was the talker. I was... All of those things. And then when I got to college or got to high school, I realized the power of positive labels. I was a great basketball player. I was smart, right? I was handsome. I don't know if anybody said that, but I'm just sort of, you know, ad-libbing here. Um, nobody in here to boo me or push back. So if you, if, if you need to, if you need to push back on that, that's fine. Um, but I, but I learned the power of positive labels. And then when I got to college, I, I once again was reminded of the power of the struggle of labels because I became labeled as a person who was divorced and I became labeled as a person who was a failure as a Christian, uh, a disappointment, um, labels matter. And so Peter jumps into this chapter and I want to just pull out 
a few of the labels that Paul or that Peter uses here to sort of validate these people who are needing a new norm and seeing the power of the positive label, right? First one is chosen, verses 1 and 2. Let's read what, what Peter writes. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect or God's chosen exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, right? He goes on and he says, listen, go right there, right there, who have been chosen. Everybody say the word chosen, right? Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the father through the sanctifying work of the spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in Jesus Christ. Listen again, don't have time to go into it in depth verse by verse study here. Listen, the high level idea is this, that these people were in desperate need of some hope. And Peter understood the power of a label. And so he tells them, you're chosen, right? Here's the cool, here's the cool thing about that Greek word for chosen. The, the original, right? The, it's a two part Greek word. Many of the Greek words are, right? The second part of that Greek word comes from the Greek word of lego, which means to speak, right? But, but the original meaning of that Greek word was to lay me down to sleep, right? So that the idea became over time that what I say, right, what comes from me and my mouth about the subject, that sort of puts the matter to bed. Right? It sort of puts it to rest. I lay it down to sleep. Here's what Peter tells these displaced, these anxious, afraid, persecuted Christians. Listen, you're chosen. Out of God's mouth, out of God's intentional purpose, he picked you and that puts it to rest, right? Listen, I, I, you know, I was fortunate. I was always tall. I grew up in an era where I was playing sports and small rural grade schools was popular, right? We had band and we had music and we had all of those things, but man, we had sports. And here's the way sports worked in PE class. Basically the teacher would pick the two tallest people always and say, pick your teams. And it didn't matter if it was dodgeball, if it was kickball, if it was bombardment, if it was running around the track, whatever it was, you pick your teams. I was always either the picker or picked first because of just being tall, just being tall. And I remember the power of choosing. And I remember the power of being chosen. And it wasn't until years, years later that I recognized the power of not being chosen. Because, you know, once you get past your 10-year high school reunion and you start being a real person and you start going back to your high school reunions at 15 and 20 and 25, you begin to see some of the damage that those choices had on people when they were in high school and grade school. Now, listen, let's not kid ourselves. Almost all of the issues that we have as human beings start in our own homes. Almost all of the issues that we deal with as adults start back within the affirmation or lack of affirmation, lack of value, lack of choosing by our parents or a teacher. 
And so as I, as I grew up and I went to high school reunions and met some of the people that I went to school with when they were in fourth, fifth, sixth grade and they weren't chosen, the effects of that can last a lifetime. And when God says, I choose you, do you know how hard it is, hard it is for the Holy Spirit to convince a mind that was never chosen, never chosen, never chosen for a date, never chosen for a dance, never chosen for a sports team. Do you know how difficult it is for the Holy Spirit to break into that mind and that heart when you've never experienced being chosen? Listen, the reality is this, is that we are a chosen people. Listen to what Ephesians 1, 3, and 4 says. Paul writes it this way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him. He didn't choose us in him after he watched us. It says he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. Then we move on. But check this out. God didn't wait till you performed to look at you and go, you know, I like him. But I just don't love them enough to choose them. No, no, no. God's choice of us came before the foundations of the world when he, when he bestowed this plan of redemption upon Jesus, right? They together chose us before the foundation of the world. That's the power of God saying, I said it about you and that settles it. And the other thing about that Greek word for chosen is it comes out of the abundance of a person's own intention to choose you, right? It has at its core the implication that I, out of abundance of choices, choose you, you. Listen, I don't know about you and I don't know about your childhood, but I do know this, that we all know the power of being chosen. We all know the value and the affirmation that comes with being picked. And we also, probably most of us, know the pain when either we're not picked or we watch somebody we love not get picked. I'm telling you that one of the labels that Peter said that these persecuted Gentiles who needed a new normal, what, what, what he wanted them to know was one of the labels that God gives you is that you're chosen and not chosen based upon me observing you in a room of a bunch of other people performing, right? This isn't training camp at football where we're going to bring out 170 players and we're going to evaluate you and then we're going to pick you. No, this is about a God who chose you before the foundation of the world, placed value and affirmation upon your life, your life, right? The life that you've run into the ground, the life that, that you have failed at, right? The life that you have labeled God chose you before you did any of that because God's choice of you has nothing to do with your performance and everything to do with his own personal desire and love for you. That's how God chooses. And he's chosen you today in Jesus. He also uses this label, label I'd love to use for my kids, obedient children. Right? Obedient children. Um, thank God I don't have toddlers at home or elementary grade kids to have to teach during COVID-19. I mean, some of our biggest heroes in the world today are the mothers that have 
become principals of the school and have become, you know, the lunch lady and they've become the PE teacher and they've become the guidance counselor and uh, they've become all of those things. And oh, by the way, they've got to work and they've got to be a wife as well. So kudos to all of you who are, who are doing all of that work at home with your students. You're amazing. But Paul uses this, this phrase, obedient children. Listen to these verses, 14 through 16 of 1 Peter 1. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now listen, I think we get, we get words mixed up at times. I mean, the Greek word for holy is to be set apart. It's the Greek word hagios, right? Right? If I take my bottle of water and my phone and I want my bottle of water to be holy, I set it apart, right? Holiness is the idea of being set apart, set apart for something special, right? The reason God wants us to be holy and separate is because God has a purpose and a plan for all of us. And here's what he says about being obedient children. Listen, listen, I have no doubt, no doubt that I'm talking to people who understand what disobedient children look like. Paul or Peter says, as obedient children, do what? Don't be conformed to the way it used to be. Don't wear the mask, right? The Greek word for conform is schema, right? It means to wear a mask, right? It means to disguise what's the what's on the inside, right? So we all know the power of, of being a disobedient child, right? We all know what that looks like. Right, Peter says, listen, as obedient children, don't be conformed, right? Don't live that life of, of, of a masquerade. Listen, you know, I like, I like things that are real. Uh, maybe I like things that are real because my house was real when we grew up. Uh, my parents were open. Um, they were, they didn't raise us thinking, man, we should hide everything from our children. Maybe I like real because I've messed up my life so much in the past that I didn't have any choice but to deal with, to deal with what, with what was real in my life. I just know that I like real. And I think that, you know, one of the things that, one of the things that is difficult when we're gathering in per- person, and I, you know, I sit here tonight and I think about of what it'll be like when we can get back together. But one of the things that is a challenge when we meet together is to stand and to preach and to lead in front of people when you know that what you're seeing is their mask. Because we're afraid to be honest. We're afraid to be real. We're afraid to be broken. We're afraid to be sinful. We're afraid to be anything less than what we think other people should expect of us. And the reality is so many Christians, so many Christians, so many followers of Jesus, right? They grow up hating the church. They grow into adults who feel uncomfortable in church because, because they have conformed and they have hid and they're afraid. And here's the reality. The reason why we're to be holy, right? God is holy. He is separate. Listen, there is no other God, right? What does the Bible say? There's no other God. He is separate. He is set aside. He is special in that way, right? Have no other gods before me. Why? Because there's only one true God. Make God holy because God is holy. And God says to us, be holy. And for some reason in our brain, right, because of religious teaching, we've made holy, right, 
synonymous with being perfect. Listen, if holiness and perfection are the same things, then we're in trouble because none of us ever obtain to holiness except in little pockets of time. I can tell you, there's been millions of millions of millions of minutes and hours of my life where I've been holy. And there's been tons and tons and tons of hours of my life where I haven't been. And all of that post, post acceptance of Jesus as my savior. Which one are you banking on? Here's what I'm banking on. As an obedient child, I'm to be different. I'm to be set apart. Why? Because God has a purpose and a plan. And if we spend all of our time being conformed to the past ignorance of our old ways, we'll never, ever be used by God for the purpose that God made us for. Yes, in being separate, there are things in your life and my life that fall away. Absolutely. But if you think the things in your life have to be set aside for you to be holy, you're missing the understanding of the word. Because we've already been made holy in Jesus. The Bible says that, that we have all of our filthy rags changed and we're white as snow. Right? We're already holy. Jesus makes us holy. Right? We've been cleansed. And this notion that the only way to remain holy is to somehow never, never practice unholiness... What kind of doctrine is that? That's the doctrine of fear and control. That's the doctrine of sin and death. That is the doctrine of the law. And Paul said to those folks in Galatia that wanted to go back, you've been cut off. You've been severed from grace. Listen, what I know about my own personal holiness is, thank you, Jesus, for making sure that you became sin on my behalf so that the righteousness that you had has been given to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for that. Now, my job is to be set apart. And we have to do that as obedient children, right? The Greek word for obedient means to submit to what you hear, right? It's the idea, listen, you tell your dog, sit, right? The goal is to get your dog to be obedient. To what? To the command, to your voice. Listen, Jesus said, my sheep know my name. They know my name. So obedience is a matter of doing what Jesus asked us to do. Right? As obedient children, we submit to that voice and we learn that we are valuable to people. Listen, the only way children ever truly know that they're loved is to know that there's somebody who's willing to hold them accountable to being obedient. And for so many, listen, for so many people that have come to faith, not just this generation, but generations in the past, they've had no value, right? They've had all these terrible labels. Here's the powerful thing about the label of obedient child. First of all, we got a parent that loves us, right? God disciplines the child that he loves. Doesn't take much research on the internet to find articles by both Christian and secular you know, experts that will tell you that there is value in disciplining something you love. Tough love, we call it, right? You and I are to act as obedient children. We're not to be conformed. We're not to wear that mask, but to be set apart. Why? Because God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And if we're not set apart, we can't be used. We can't be used. Being holy isn't about being perfect. Because we've already been made perfect through Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Amen. Right? How about, let, let's read this First John 2, 28 and 29. And now, dear, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, 
we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he's righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Right? So we're God's children. We're to obey his voice. That's why you should be reading scripture. That's why you should be in a community group. That's why you should be in a Bible study. Right? That's why you should be in church. Whether church is online or whether it's happening in person, you need to be in a place to submit to submit to the word of God so that you can learn how to be obedient. Because if you're not submitting to the word of God, if you're at least not listening to God's voice, how can you ever be obedient? You can always plead ignorance. Well, ignorance might be bliss, but it doesn't cut it when it comes to knowing what God expects of us. Obedient children. How about this one? Foreigners. First Peter chapter 1, verse 17 through 21. Listen to this. And I, and I like this one. This is going to seem weird as a weird label, but check this out. Since you call on a father who judges these persons work impartially, he says to these persecuted Gentiles, trying to find this new normal. He says, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, right? Redeem is the price that you pay to buy something back. He says that God didn't use gold or silver to pay for you, right? He says you were redeemed from were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. We instead, the price that God had to pony up to buy us back was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He, Jesus, was chosen before the creation of the world. So before the foundation of the world, God chose us in Jesus because God told chose Jesus before the foundation and the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for our sake. Through him, listen to this, through him you believe in God who was raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. Listen, labels matter. They're powerful. They can cause us to soar. You're the best. You're the greatest. You're the smartest. You're this, right? Labels can cause us to soar. They can make, make us know that the world, right, is our oyster and we just need to go find the pearl. That dreams can come true, but dreams can also be crushed by labels. And you can learn to believe that there is nothing better for you than to always be behind and always be the failure and always be marginalized and always be abused and always been hurt and always been taken advantage of, right? Labels have power. Peter addresses a group of people who needed the power of positive labels because they were persecuted. They were displaced from their homes. They needed to understand how to succeed in a new normal. And he said, here's the thing. You're chosen. My voice to your lips, that's it, right? I choose you. We're obedient children. We have a father who loves us and cares for us. And his goal isn't for us to pretend to be like the world because God's purposes and plans are bigger for us. And if we're going to be holy, then we need to be set apart to do the work that God asked us to do. That's holiness. Jesus was holy because he was set apart to do the work. Listen, you have to say no when you're set apart in some areas. But we're also foreigners. And I know that seems like a strange thing, right, to say that's a positive label. But the Greek word for foreigner there is the Greek word. Here's what the Greek word actually means. It means to have a house beside another house, right? 
It means to sojourn. And to sojourn means to put a house beside another house, a complete stranger, right? So here's what he says. He said, you are going to go into a strange land. You're persecuted, displaced, and homeless, right? You're a refugee. But here's what you are. You're a sojourner. You're the kind of guy and you're the kind of family that puts down roots beside some stranger. Why? Because did you hear what he said? He said, we got a message that's so powerful that we need to act like a foreigner here. We need to put our roots down beside these strangers in these places. Why? Because our faith and our hope is in this, that God chose us before the foundation of the world and he did not buy us back with the empty, vain artifacts of gold and silver. God paid preciously for our redemption. He gave us the blood of his son, Jesus, that he chose before the world was ever formed. Again, God did not wait to see whether you were worthy. God did not wait to see whether you and I deserved it. God chose Jesus before the world began. And he said to Jesus, my plan is to use your blood to redeem these people. And here's what he said. You people in Asia Minor and Bithynia and Cappadocia, right? You people in those places, you're sojourners. So build a house besides a stranger's house. And tell them about the faith and the hope and the love that we have in Jesus. Listen, listen to what Paul says. Paul says this about it. In, in Ephesians, I just knocked my water over, didn't I? In Ephesians chapter 1 or 2, right? Here's Paul's description of us in, the, in that regard. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, right? By birth and called uncircumcised. There's your label, right? A label for Gentiles, uncircumcised. By those who call themselves the circumcision, another label. And these were, these were labels of division, right? Circumcised good, uncircumcised bad, right? In the body by human hands, the circumcision. He says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. So here's the thing. He said, you did not have a house that was set up beside this content. You didn't have access to it. He says, we were without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. He himself is our peace. He's made the two groups one. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And he set aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Aren't you grateful? His purpose was to create in himself one, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Listen, we're not, we're, we used to be foreigners to the goodness and the grace of God. And we're no longer foreigners to that, right? We've, we've been able to make our peace with God through the work of Jesus on the cross. And here's the great thing about that. He says that's torn down the dividing wall of hostility. Well, if that's torn down the dividing wall of hostility, then why is there so much hostility in one humanity? Because we don't act like foreigners. We don't act like we've got something better to tell the person we're going to cozy up next to in our neighborhood. We don't act like we've got something better to tell than the hope of Jesus. Right? Unfortunately, 
In our one humanity as foreigners, we've done more to continue the division of people and humanity than any other group of people on the planet. I mean, we, listen, we can be labeled some of the most judgmental people in the world. And our judgments are always labeling. Listen, you can take a stand against a sin. We take stands against those things all the time. There's nothing wrong. Listen, if we're going to be people who believe in the Bible, we should take a stand against sin. Amen? Right? We need to do that. But we should never take a stand against humanity. We never should take a stand against our fellow man because Paul said we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. And yet the reality is we've done a disservice for being foreigners in this land. Listen, I got to go to England. It was one of the coolest things I got to do, right? Um, And one of the things about about being in England was I was a foreigner, right? I was a foreigner. You act differently when you recognize you're a foreigner, right? You take different precautions and considerations. Your language, at least for me, was different, right? All the benefits or all the attributes that came to being a foreigner in in, in a strange land, I had to apply. And those of you that take mission trips with us to all of these different countries, you have to learn some of those things. It's always an interesting aspect being a foreigner in a strange land. Here's the thing about the label of being a foreigner. It's a better use, the better Greek word, the better definition is a word we don't use often. It's a sojourner, right? A sojourner is a person who comes into a foreign land and puts a house next to a stranger's house. Why? Ultimately, it's so we can share with them the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Listen to what verse 19 says of Ephesians 2. Paul continues. He said, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, Right, took two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, of which most of us are, and sep- separated because one was circumcision and one was not. One was good and one was bad. Paul, de- Paul said that Jesus destroyed that and made everybody one humanity to God. He said, so because of that, you're no longer a foreigner and no longer a stranger. Where? But we are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy or separate, set-apart temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Listen, the reality is, is that we're not foreigners to the church. This is a part of the most, one of the most difficult parts of this COVID-19 stay-at-home, shelter-in-place stuff is that we are no longer strangers and aliens to each other as believers in Jesus. And listen, I like a good Zoom call as much as anybody. I like a good FaceTime, FaceTime call as good as anybody. But it, I'm not an introvert. And I miss a good old hug and a high five and a smile, right? And a pat on the back and a fist bump, right? There's power in the community of our believers, which is why we're so, we're more as much or more excited than you are to get back together. And some of you have been asking the question, when are we going to get back together? Listen, let me tell you, the Bible says of a church, of a believer, that we are to honor the government, that we are to honor the people that God put in place. Listen, the reason that we're not meeting isn't because we're afraid. We're not meeting out of total respect for God's word, right? Obedient children, submit to what you hear. They haven't forced us to stop meeting. 
They've asked us in a pandemic to use these guidelines. And we're choosing as a church to honor those guidelines, to honor our governor and our leaders of our state and of our country. What a terrible witness. What a terrible witness in the middle of a pandemic to ignore the directions of a government that God put in place. Listen, I'm as frustrated as you are about why we can't meet. But in reality, we're doing our best to be obedient and honor God. And the reality is we all miss what church brings us. The closest and the connection of being face-to-face. Because we're not strangers and aliens to each other. But listen, we are strangers and aliens in this place. In this place, we're strangers and aliens. Which means, guess what? Peter said to the Gentiles, listen, you're a stranger in Bithynia. Right? You're a stranger in Cappadocia. You're a stranger in Asia. Guess what you do? You build your house next to a stranger. Because the hope you got in Jesus wasn't bought with silver or gold, but by his blood. And that's the message of hope you give as a sojourner in the world that you live in. And I think that's a positive label. Listen, I'm, I, think that, I think that we all understand that labels are powerful. Right? They... For some of us, they set the course of our life at a very young age, unfortunately. And for many people, we're still living. You're still living with that shadow. You're still finding those demons. Listen, I know people that are in their 70s that love Jesus, grown-ups, that can be triggered like that back into those past childhood memories of abandonment and abuse and a fear. Why? Because those labels have power. If you're persecuted... Christian in the first century, displaced by Nero's lies, and the Roman Empire is now after you to to punish you and to cause you pain. Man, you need some hope. You need some positive affirmation. And Peter gives it to him. You're chosen. For some of you tonight, it's the only thing you need to know. You feel unwanted and you feel unloved, and your failure, your failure rate has reached such high. Uh, high numbers that you no longer believe that your value is in being chosen. Jesus was chosen before the foundation of the world because God chose you before the foundation of the world. You're worthy because God's chose you. You're obedient children set apart to not be like the world, not because you're going to be judged by your performance, but because God's got a purpose and a plan for you. Every one of you, even during COVID-19, he's got a plan for you. And ultimately, we're not anything but foreigners. We are sojourners in this place. And our job is to put a house beside a neighbor who we don't know and tell them about the message of hope found in Jesus for you and for me. Listen, we're going to spend the next few weeks going through First Peter. I'm excited about doing that. We'll be in chapter 2 next Wednesday as we walk through this. But listen, again, the desire is to help us learn a new normal. Paul said this, when, when, we have, when we have accepted Jesus, we have become new creatures in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. Let's learn together what that new looks like. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these moments that we've been able to share together. It's been my prayer. It is my prayer now that you've been the promise keeper in this conversation. That you won't let your word return void. That your spirit would bring all conviction and all wisdom and all discipline. That ultimately the light, the spotlight of this conversation, this message, Father, would be on you and on your son Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that you would take that word 
And I pray that you would plant it and water it and give the increase in the lives of the people that heard it. Lord, we thank you uh, for, uh, for the value of labeling us as chosen, as your children, and yet given the responsibility to be a sojourner in the land. God, help us to be faithful, faithful with all of those labels so that we can bring you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.